Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill, and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. Today, I'm really excited to have Coach Pete Walsh on the show with me. He has been a full-time coach for over 20 years. He's been helping leaders and teams play to their potential, utilizing a unique blend of zen, proven sports science, humor, and tough love. His clients enjoy new levels of results and personal satisfaction. He's also the author of two books. One is called Coach to Win the Leadership Game, and the other is the Family Business Playbook, which he co-authored with his grandfather. I'm super enthusiastic to have Coach Pete on the show with me today because, Coach, you and I have maybe very similar stories, but let's start with your story. What What is the origin, the background of you getting into family business coaching? Well, thanks for having me be here, first and foremost. You know, I thought my life's dream was to run our family business. My grandfather had started our business in Phoenix, Arizona in 1919. And by the 1960s, it was a well-known company. It was just a huge part of our family and the whole community. And so I went to school, got a degree in business management, went into work at the family business. We have 300 employees and I worked my way through sales, project management, became a vice president of operations and then started to realize that my uncle and I, we didn't see eye to eye on everything. And he was a workaholic and he said he was going to be there for another 20 years. I was in my mid thirties and I decided life was short and I just wasn't sure I was going to be able to stay around for another 20 years. He said, this is going to be yours someday. And so I was at church with Karen, my wife and my kids. I like to say I'm highly spiritual, although not highly religious or recovering Catholic is the way I like to say it. And at church that Sunday, the sermon was about finding your special gift. And I prayed in that moment and said, help me find what mine is, because I know I can hit a home run for you. Those are my exact words. Three days later, a friend of mine said, who owned a construction company, said, our coach said this. And I said, your coach, what's that? And she said, somebody that helps us develop our plans and hold us accountable. And I said, you're kidding. That's a job. Oh, my God, that's what I love to do. I didn't realize, but I was a coaching leader. I was getting people together, our delivery crews, warehouse crews, customer service. And we were talking about how to get better. 
And I came home and told Karen, I know what I'm supposed to do. And she said, what? What are you talking about? I said, I'm going to be a coach. And she kind of looked at me like, okay. And coaching was just a brand new baby profession at the time. I started with classes nights and weekends, and I just absolutely loved it. And I went to my uncle who ran our business and said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go be a coach. And he looked at me like I had two heads. And he said, you're kidding me. And I said, no, I, it's what I'm supposed to do. It's what the guy upstairs has told me to do. It was so funny. He, I remember, I'll never forget. He said, let me ask you one question. Do you have any assurance that you can make a living? I mean, I had a wife and two kids at the time. I'd been there for 16 years. And I said, absolutely not. And he just shook his head. And I, I told the employees. The employees, of course, were were just shocked. And I went out and found my passion in leadership coaching. And then I started coaching in corporate America, leadership development, helping emerging leaders become better leaders. And some estate planning attorneys came to me and said, we'd like you to help us with our family business work that we're doing. And I said, I don't want to do that. It's too messy. It's, you know, and they introduced me to a couple of their clients and I loved it. I'd been away long enough and I was had one foot in corporate America, which I still do today. So I could see what leadership looked like in some really well-run companies and then what was happening in family businesses. And what I like to say is that I'm kind of halfway between, at least I was at the time, I'm getting closer now to dad, but I was halfway between dad and mom and the younger generation. So I would tell mom and dad, hey, back off and give them a little room, would you? And then I would tell the younger generation, hey, why don't you shut up and listen to mom and dad a little bit? They've got some good information for you. So I, I've always used the backdrop of sports and performance arts and, and this idea of deliberate practice. There's a guy that did a study at Florida State University over a 20-year period. And he said the people that were the very best at what they do practice a certain way. It really wasn't about talent. So I really latched onto that. So my first book, Coach to Win the Leadership Game, talks a lot about identifying practices. And, and you and I have talked a little bit about this communication, conflict resolution, um, leadership, setting goals, and, and so getting feedback, listening. And so I have a bunch of exercises I help people do. And I think the other thing that's interesting about all that, Jonathan, is there was a guy, Vladimir Horowitz, he was the best piano player on the planet. And he said, if I stop practicing for a day, I notice. And in two days, my wife notices. And in three days, the critics notice. And that really struck me because he was one of the most talented people. But if you think about it, if you think about professional athletes, if you think about musicians, they got to keep practicing. It doesn't, you don't just wake up tomorrow and then go out and do a concert for all these people. You practice all the time. So my work's really about helping people learn how to practice and what to practice. And uh, we built a website, Family Business Performance Center, that finds families all over the globe, actually, to work with. And it's pretty ironic because the challenges are so similar in every one of them. And you know that. And then in your work, disruption, you know, disruptive. I was thinking about that this morning. 
boy, the world just seems in such a disruptive state after everything that's happened over the last few years. So probably more than ever, people need to get learn to be resilient, thoughtful, figure out how to navigate their way through the world. So that's really the work that you and I do is to help people step back and think, how am I going to get from point A to point B? So so that's kind of a long-winded answer, but I, I've been in family business my whole life and uh, just feel honored to get to work with leaders and people that are interested in being better leaders. I love the story. I just have to back up before we go forward because when you were with this company for 16 years and you turned to your uncle and said you were leaving and he asked what any well-meaning, you know, uh, mature person would ask, Pete, how are you going to support yourself and your family? Can you make a living at this? I mean, that was a pivotal moment. And we were just talking about your grandfather being long gone and, I'm just wondering if your story is similar to mine at all, because like you said that at a, you were in your 30s and you realized that life was short. And so I'm guessing that you must have lost maybe your grandfather or an important member of your family, because I lost my father when I was two. He died of a, of a massive coronary. It was his second one. Oh. And that was part of the reason that our family business didn't make it into the yeah. uh, th or past the third generation because they were just in-laws and they there just wasn't enough of a family yeah. you know unit to take it to the next level and it was very big i mean 2000 employees wow um, yeah. yeah so and you know yours was very big as well so like, what was it made you realize that life was short and needed to go on and find your calling? I think that's helpful for disruptors to understand. And and tell yeah. me, just what was your grandfather gone? Did he did he die of? Uh, he, of uh, he left in the 1960s when I was probably uh, nine or ten years old, actually. And and that was an interesting part of the story because my father took over the family business, and then my father fell ill, and mm. then my took over. But when I was in my late 30s, I'd lost two brothers by that time and okay. two of my best friends that had stood up for me in my wedding. And you got to understand also, my uncle and I, I loved him. I respected him. But I had some significant differences in just how we viewed the world. And this is another important part of the story, I think, Jonathan, that um, many people go into a family business or they find themselves in there and then they kind of feel like, well, it's the right thing to do and the family needs me to do it. Yet, if you're not happy, if you're not finding your passion, if you're not really getting to live the life that you want to live, you should seriously consider doing something else. And my uncle and I, that was kind of the story there. I mean, I loved a lot of what we did, yet he, you know, like many uh, depression era babies, just prided himself on the fact that we didn't take anything out of the business. We weren't paid well. I had a young family and I just thought, you know, we're really working hard here and we're profitable and we're making good money. In fact, at the time, one of our auditors, we had an employee stock ownership program and we had to have regular audits of our financials. And the auditor said, your executive comp is significantly off where it should be. And that 
it was a moment where I thought like, okay, here's somebody else telling you the same thing. But, and again, I don't fault the man. I love the guy, but it was just like, I, you know, if you ever watch the movie, uh, it's a wonderful life, the Bailey brothers building homes for everybody, but yet really not paying themselves for what they were doing. And, 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 and so for me, it just, it was like, um, I need to do something else, but you know, for me, I was also very blessed and fortunate that coaching came along. And I think back about that a lot too, and think, well, if coaching hadn't come along, I might not have had the courage yet in these family businesses. I know you get to work with them a lot. I do as well. Could have been the story in your case, obviously it was a little different, but for for the next gen to find their passion or put their fingerprints on it. A lot of times I tell these families, this is like a platform that your family created. So over the last 30 or 50 years, maybe they were doing X, but now you might want to turn it a little bit and do Y, or you might want to do more in community and foundation work. And there's a lot of different things to do. So I think the important thing, and I know this is what we're both passionate about, is that these leaders find their inherent passion, gift, and make the most of them and communicate that to your team so that you can have a rewarding life. I mean, I find some family business members that maybe are being paid very well, yet there's something missing, you know, they mm. just kind of been there forever. I'll never forget a guy in North Carolina many years ago. And he said, I've often thought about what I could have been or might've been if I'd been out someplace else. So one of the things that I am passionate about is pre-employment policy, go work someplace else, go get a couple promotions, go, prove that you can be effective outside of the family franchise. And and a lot of younger generation, I've got a 33 and a 35-year-old, a lot of the younger generation seem to be struggling to find purpose or struggling to find some of the work ethic that the younger gener- the older generations had. So I think, you know, another thing is to go out and prove you can produce results. And then if you want to come back to the family business, boy, you're you're going to even bring more experience and value. So, but grandfather, I, I want to go back to that just for a minute. And I should have okay. a copy of my book close by, but he was writing to the employees. He said, you know, some people think the work ethic in America is really slipping here in the 1960s. And we need to do our best and do our part and all that. And so when I was writing this book, I was like, you know, and we had a a, a memo to the employees, the uh, 10 essentials for success. And I, I showed mm-hmm. it to Karen and I said, these are still very valid today. Amazing. Read yeah. a book, take a deep breath, be a good person to the other person. And so I always wanted to work with him. So it was really a way to achieve a lifelong dream. So when we published the book, I took the first copy and I hand wrote a note inside and to grandfather, you're now a published author and congratulations. And, and that's the other thing, his work and my work will, and your work, because you're an author, will be around to make a difference after we're gone. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And I found 
a little pamphlet. It was like a booklet, mostly with one sentence or two sentence uh, uh, wisdom little pieces that my great grandfather had written. It was eight pages of, of these one sentence, two sentences. Some of it was very specific to the the industry that they were in. But a lot of them were like it was principles of doing good business. And I think that's what it was called. Um, so it's great to see that type of legacy uh, stick around and to know that our books will will stick around and will have a legacy. So let's talk about one of the things that I've been really passionate about, which is finding your purpose. And I actually have an exercise that's taken from Jim Collins is good to great. It's the, it's the mission to Mars. I'm sure you're familiar with it where yeah. you basically say, you know, who are you going to take on your rocket ship? If you're going to Mars, these are the yeah. most reliable, most trustworthy, most, you know, important people. And, and that's the values exercise. Sorry. I went, I went on a tangent there, but that's no, his, fine. you know, that's finding the values, but, and I think finding the values is really important to know who you want, in your rocket ship, on your lifeboat, in your company, and who you don't want. But the other thing that I find is pivotal is to figure out what is your purpose. Your grandfather or father, whoever started that business, had a purpose in mind. And while it's great to honor that tradition, to really move the company forward, you have to find your purpose and your reason for being and this is a very difficult thing, I, I believe, for leaders to find that purpose. But it's pivotal because when you do find a purpose and when it aligns and connects with the people who are running the business, the business will elevate itself because it is like, well, it's like you talked about the man upstairs. It's like everyone is is praying and and working towards a higher purpose, a higher God, a higher calling. It's so important to find purpose. How do you go about helping your clients find more purpose or maybe even bring more joy into their lives? What are some of the things that, that you like uh, to point people to? Your book? How's that? Okay. No, yeah, no, to do Mars exercises. Um, it's funny when you said that, and I get thoughts that come to me from the the bigger the universe, and the thoughts that came to mind right there were a couple right. things. One is if you remember back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe 40s, 50s, 60s, people weren't even thinking about purpose. The employees were there working. Right. To right. get a paycheck to provide for their family. So imagine right. now this is even so much more important because I'm actually an embedded coach, I like to call that, in some companies where I get to coach all the people in the company, mm -hmm. the leaders, et cetera. And so, you know, Jonathan, 20, 30 years ago, people probably weren't even thinking about that, but now they're thinking right. about it more than ever. And so, and this is another thing, just read a good new book and about the fact that, you know, people are becoming cynical about working for the big corporation. They're not sure. the fact that I'm going to work here for 20 years and get a pension. We know all of that's changing. So it's more important than ever. And I think that's leadership, communication, connecting what you do 
to something more than just exchanging time and money, right? So whether you're in the construction industry, so we were later in the office furniture industry. I still, when I drive by the Mayo Clinic out in Scottsdale, I really feel great about the fact that I helped put that building together. So I think for leaders, they need to connect the work that they're doing in a way, and part of that, you know, is storytelling and and personal reflection, like what's important. And so I have a client I was working with recently that are making really bizarre little devices that go in to these other medical devices that are all around the world. And the guy did a beautiful job of saying, you know, these little devices we're making here are saving lives all over the world. So I think it's through reflection. I think it's through storytelling. Um, the other thing that really comes to mind right now is that everybody wants to have some ownership, some autonomy, right? Some agency, they call it. So as a business leader, you've got to give people some flexibility about how they do their work and find a way that they can put their unique fingerprints on it. But again, as a business owner or leader, that's a little frightening. You know, I didn't really want to sit down with 30 delivery guys and tell them, you think of the best way to deliver that office furniture, because I'm like, well, the way, you know, let's all decide the best way to do it. But I think reflection, I think leadership, storytelling, connecting people to the work, to their life purpose. But my grandfather also, and I think it's still an important thing, is um, this is how we provide for our families. This is how we save for a rainy day. So we want to have a company that is successful and profitable so we can all provide for our families because that's an important part of what we're doing, right? 100%. And, you know, communications is one area that I'm sure that you do a lot of work in. I find that one of my go-to exercise uh, tools is how to have a difficult conversation. And I think one of the more difficult conversations, obviously between family members, is between a younger generation family member and an older generation family member, like the one that you described that you had with your uncle earlier in the show, where you know a worse conversation would, or a more difficult conversation would have been, we need to fire Charlie or we need to get Charlie to learn how to use the software and the tools that we're using because he doesn't understand this new technology stuff. And we're going to take the company in a bit of a different direction. You know, we're going digital or we're going e-commerce or we're, you know, and so I know Charlie was a revered employee for mm -hmm. 20 years, but He's not fitting into the picture so well today. And how do we deal with this? And these are difficult conversations that need to be had if you're going to keep the company and think about the greater good, the greater, you know, the greater number yeah. of people. These are difficult areas, don't you find? No question. And that's where I think Zen comes in. Mm -hmm. Like, hmm. One of the I'm things I'm trying, I teach mindfulness. I was teaching mm -hmm. mindfulness to a group of 100 East Coast bankers a few years ago. And I was standing up in the front of the room and I even noticed myself 
saying to myself, are you insane? What are you doing right now? But I was teaching these bankers how to get real quiet, get their mind quiet, not take anything too personally. There's a great Lou Holtz quote that I've used for years. And he said, critique the performance, not the performer. So mm. when I'm talking to someone about what Charlie's doing, I'm not trying to, you know, damn Charlie's character or who he is, but I'm talking about the result that we're producing. So one of the things is to not take it too personally. I'm not sure what country you live in, but I live in the United States. I know you where you live. I mean, <laughs> we're we're charged up right now. I mean, it just seems like so much of our energy is getting angry and and enraged. And I listened to something last week, which was great. And it said, um, to enrage is to engage. So social media is all motivated to get you charged up. So I think one of the things that we need to teach people is mindfulness, loving compassion. That's another thing from Buddhism. So when we talk to Charlie, we're trying to help Charlie understand what's happening in the world and how we could work together to find it work better for everybody. And and truthfully, the Charlies of the world, they're not happy either. They know that technology, they're nervous. They realize things are changing. But, you know, the other thing I wanted to say that just came to my mind when you said all that was, I think one of the bigger challenges is working with the founding generation or working with the older generation. My son and daughter teach me a lot, and it's great. And my son just was te- – he, he shares some good things with me. So a lot of times it's the older generation that we got to try to help them understand, hey – it you gotta start to take your hands off the steering wheel. You gotta start to trust and let the next gen do their thing. And it's really hard. It's you know, of course, I'm a coach, I do a lot of work, so I'm probably hopefully more open to my children. But a lot of the older generation are kind of and I just had a father the other day say to me, like, well, that's crazy. I can't, how can I possibly buy into that idea. And I'm like, okay, I understand your worldview. So I think it comes down, Jonathan. One of the ways I heard it one time is think about when you have access to the internet, how much resources you have, how much information you have. When you are in a calm state of mind, you're open to new ideas. But when you're in agitated state of mind, you're more closed minded. So one of the first things I do with people a lot is to teach them how to get a calm mind and how to create a a positive mindset. Right. Think about what could be possible with this company. Don't be stuck in. Well, this is the way we've done it forever. I can't see how that works. So I think mindset and a quiet mind is really important, don't you? Oh, I I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, I'm listening to this conversation that we're having, and it's sort of like I'm looking in the mirror, and as if I'm re- the reflection is talking to me of my inner thoughts and who I am and how I show up, and you articulate it so well. So, so well, thank you, you and I, for being. You and I have been doing a lot of work. We we met before. Yes. We do very similar backgrounds. See, that's practice. That's practice. Yes. The it first is. thing I do every morning is 
watch mind movies. My son gave me that gift a few years ago. Mind movies is a program where you create a movie about what you want to have in your life. And it has music. It has photos of me and my wife. It has all of that. So the first thing I do every morning is turn that on because what do other people do? They start looking at how many emails they got or the phone's buzzing or they turn on the news. I turn on mind movies. I made five mind movies. The first one is about Karen and I and our relationship of 36 years. The second one's about my financial abundance. The third one is about my physical state, eating, sleeping, et cetera. The fourth one is about my business making a big difference on the planet. And the fifth one's about my golf game. And so every, <laughs> every morning, the first thing I do is watch those five mind movies. So I'm programming my mind. And, you know, one of my teachers, I feel like saying his name, Mark Wright, 30 years ago, one of my first coaches, uh, probably 26 years ago, said, what are you listening to in your car? And I said, I forget music, this or that. He said, shut your radio off and listen to nothing. And I remember when I first did that, it was like kind of startling. Yet I spend a lot of time in silent reflection. And I think this is a really important piece for people. You know, you just said it like, oh, wow, what you said, I really resonated with. Um, we talked about a journal earlier. I journal at the beginning of every week and I rate the week that just went past. I said, you did really well, but on Wednesday, you got totally distracted by blank. But keep, you know, being reflective and getting quiet and figuring out what's important to you. And then the other part of my work, Jonathan, is rehearsal. So, if you're going to go talk to your employees about the importance of X, rehearse that a little bit in your mind, work with it, take it out there, practice it before you just start shooting from the hip. So I think this is an important thing. My mother told me, honey, you ought to go to uh, Toastmasters. And I said, mom, I'm I'm speaking for a living. And she said, you really should. And that is my mother. She was one of my best coaches. Right. And so I went to Toastmasters and they taught me how to do vocal variety, different presentations, eliminate some of the fillers. That's another example as a leader to sharpen your skills, get better at communicating to people, right? 100%. And Toastmasters is a great suggestion. And I followed that same suggestion myself. And it wasn't my cup of tea, but I have to say the few times that I did go, I learned a lot. And I saw or sought out other venues where I could practice those types of things. But kudos to you for, for doing that. And kudos to you for helping others uh, bring joy into their work and into their world. Because... I was just listening to uh, the latest book. It's a few years old already by Patrick Lencioni. It's called The Motive. And he talks about the two motives for leaders. One is the results-based and the other is rewards-based or centered leadership. And so the results-centered leader is really always focused on how can I do better? How can I serve more? How can I... Um, how can I engage my people? How can I engage my team? The reward-based is is more focused on the position of authority that they've elevated to. And, you know, how can they 
like exalt themselves almost because of their rewards and take advantage of it. And so, and he makes the analogy uh, to football, you know, the new, the new hot draft pick that comes to the professional football team. And the one that feels like this was a reward. I deserved this is the one who underperforms versus the one whose results focus and is thinking like, I I'm so blessed and so lucky to be here. How can I serve this organization to be the best person, to be the best, you know, the best leader. And so I, I just, I think that coming back to the idea of, of bringing joy, enjoying the journey of driving success in your business is a lot of work. It's a lot of inner work and it's difficult inner work because it requires you to really look within and also to then stay focused on what's going on outside of you. And so, you know, you talked earlier about how much uh, tumult there is in the world and that it's hard to stay focused and also then go, you know, you, where you have to go within and focus on what's going on outside of you. It takes an amazing amount of stillness to be able to do oh, that. And I'd like to go back to what you said, which is so good. Humility, humility. And some family businesses, again, I like to say that I'm a anthropologist. I'm studying tribes of human beings. And you've seen the same thing. You have some families where there's a humility, there's a uh, graciousness to serve the community. And then you have some other family businesses where there's a bit of a an arrogance or an entitlement. And it's kind of like, hey, well, we're the Joneses. Look around. We've been a big name in this family, in this town forever. And, and so I think humility is really important. Again, back to Zen and Buddhism, impermanence, everything's you know, this is a short thing. I mean, we're not around that long. So so don't think that you're that significant. And I, that's where coaching, I think being a coaching leader is so important. So a great coach is really trying to figure out how do I help that player get the most out of their talent? You know, they're curious. They're thinking like, I've seen Susie there. She seems like she's got more to give, but something's holding her back. So helping her figure out how can you play to your potential? How can you bring your best version of yourself? So it's really, it's an important point you make. It's like focus on others rather than yourself. And then, you know, we'll look around and maybe we all have a championship or we will all have a very successful career, but it's really about having everybody be successful. And I think those are really great leaders. And the other thing, Jonathan, I attended a, uh, class many years ago, and they showed a picture of 35 teachers, high school teachers, and everybody in the audience picked these top, these three, they were like, number 13, 26, and 32, they look like really good teachers. People are smart, man, they are instinctual. That's that book, Blink, that, you know, you can't bullshit your audience anymore. You can't, you can't tell them one thing. You can't stand up there and say like, oh, oh, we're great. And we do this and that and that, and then do something else. And, you know, that's back to uncle Tim. I, I have a great deal of respect and regard for his frugality, for his 
transparency. We we shared with all the employees what we were doing and you know what the company was making. So I think humility goes a long way in today's world. And I think people uh, won't put up with you know inadequate leadership. I think they know more than ever what resonates with them. And that's important for people like we're talking about, getting clear about what resonates with them. And then that'll attract that in a way back to your spaceship idea. That'll kind of attract people to your spaceship. I mean, you you might not have to be out looking as hard. People will come find you. These are interesting. This is a very interesting conversation. And, and I think we could go for hours on this. Um, I'm I'm looking out of my window. I'm in New York City today recording this, and I'm looking at all the people moving across the square and different, you know, they're going in different directions. And, you know, I left New York when I was 18 or 20, actually, and said I just didn't want to be part of this rat race. And that was what I had in my mind was that it was a rat race to climb to, you know, a succession ladder. It was going to be very competitive. And I went California thinking it would be a more relaxed lifestyle, only to find that I could find those same things as they, uh, that are there as well. And so what I'm reflecting on is that the things that we're talking about, which are near and dear to my heart, are difficult sometimes to juxtapose against a very materialistic society where people are trying to elevate themselves and where you know people in in executive positions are seeking out greater rewards for greater pay for greater for bigger titles and so there's this duality that that zen is so good at sort of probably or buddhists are so good at at mastering the conflict between that you've got to recognize that Yes, you may want these things and these things could be beneficial and make your life better, but they it, when they become a driver and take you over, then you lose sight of maybe your team, other people, uh, being a servant leader, being humble, being coachable. And so it's just, I'm just reflecting on the challenges that are presented to us and that everyone needs to find their own peace and joy in life. And that business can be an incredible avenue for finding that self-expression, that peace and that joy. And I'm I'm sure you're probably shaking your head. You're trying to figure out where I'm going as I am, um, but, but nodding with, you're resonating with these thoughts that there's a challenge out there when we're presented oh. with, you know, all these other things that we might want. And I no. think for young leaders, they've got to recognize and be mature early enough to recognize that, you know, having more things while it's nice isn't the be all and end all that maybe being a better person, being a better leader is going to be more fulfilling. Having better relationships yeah. with your family and your friends yeah. is going to be more fulfilling. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, I can tell you and I could talk for, for two days. <laughs> I'll tell you what, something else that I didn't say earlier, grandfather was very into stoicism. He was mm. a student of Epictetus. Epictetus was a stoic philosopher. And yes. a 
studying with Ryan Holiday, the Daily Stoic, and I'm in his class right now, the Wealthy Stoic. And they said something last week, which was so good. Wealth is not having more things. Wealth is having less wants. And I thought, that's so good. And that's what you're yeah. getting right there, yeah. too. It's like, yeah. that's like a hedonistic treadmill if you want to keep wanting more things. It's actually about wanting less things and cherishing. You said it. I love the friendships I have, the relationships I have, the the hobby of you know trying to get better at that, hitting that golf ball around. Those are all things that are great sources of wealth. And you know, we both know that you to run a business, you have to be profitable, you have to have excess cash flow, you've got to continue to reinvest in your business. And this is the other thing that I think is just so interesting. And California, one of my dear friends has got a place in California business. And boy, California wants a fair amount of money for your employees and your taxes and your infrastructure. So it's not getting any easier. You you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's a real paradox. I want to have everybody to have purpose, enjoy what they're doing. And the government wants even that much more from us all the time. So it's a it's a razor thin line there. Again, more important than ever that you keep getting clear about what you do, how you do it, doing it efficiently, innovating. I've said for a while, I think owning a business now has got to be more challenging than ever. And so, you know, that's the other thing. I, I meant to say that earlier. Look, don't stay around the family business if you don't have the, uh, the wherewithal or the metal, like I have one family right now, uh, a younger successor. And I'm kind of questioning because the younger generation, they appreciate going camping, having time off, working from home. And so, you know, you, you have to say part of what we have to say to them is, are you up for this challenge? Because running a business, when we had our company, I can think of every vacation I was on with my wife and kids where I had to get on conference call to discuss a problem that was blown up or had another meeting we had to be in. So that's the other thing for people to realize, like, you know, just know that when mom and dad, when they started the business compared to what it is today, it's most times much more complicated, even more demanding. So be careful what you're signing up for, right? I think this is a big question for the older generation. That is, you're we're telling them to like let go of the steering wheel or like like let go of the baton and pass it to the next generation. But they're concerned about hmm, I don't know. Is Johnny in, too entitled? Does he expect things to be too easy? Is he, does he have grit or she? Are they going to work hard like I did? Are they going to you know or you know, or is this thing going to fall apart? And is my legacy and is the business going to fall apart? So I think these are concerns that we can help them navigate as we work with the two generations. Well, and, and part, again, this kind of wisdom. Yeah. Run a few experiments, Johnny, Mary. Run your play. Let's run your play and see how we do. Let's sing with your notes and see if 
four employees leave or whether four knock on our door and want to come work with us. So I try to help people run reasonable experiments, not an experiment that's going to drive the company off the cliff. Right. But that's another thing. I was very fortunate. Uncle Tim was great in many ways. He let me be on the other side of town and do some things, try some new things that were fulfilling to me that some worked well, some didn't. One was like the biggest disaster ever. And I always think of later about that. It was like, that was one of my most important lessons in business too. And he sat back and watched and was like, you know, probably thought like you're, you're burning hundred dollar bills over there. So you've got to allow the next gen to run some experiments and, uh, in a safe and envi- in a safe environment, can we learn as much from our successes as we can learn from our failures? Absolutely, I okay. believe so. Maybe more so. Truthfully, mm. you know, and, and resilience. Don't you think resilience is so important? And and I go back to Buddhism. I feel I'm speaking more like a Buddhist than a Catholic, but I say that Buddhism helps me be a better Catholic. But it, I in Buddhism. We believe that everything is happening to me at the exact moment for me to become who I'm supposed to be. And that takes a lot of pressure off. It really does. So if you you take that mindset and you went and you thought you were going to give a big speech to the employees that went was going to go great and it doesn't go well, then you're going to figure out, okay, well, that didn't work. So this idea of resilience to keep, you know, every day try to get better at what you do. And 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 I tell my 33 and 35-year-old sometimes more successfully than others, if you can fall in love with that process, my goodness, if you can fall in love with getting better at whatever you're doing, that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, business changes. I mean, you could be on top this year and next year you've got a new competitor. So if you can embrace improvement and resilience and and you said at the very beginning being clear about what your values are and then you'll you'll have a very rewarding life coach pete walsh this has been a wonderful conversation is there something you'd like to make available as a an offer or thank you thank you at familybusinessperformance.com there's a few free tools my landmine detection map is literally a a, a visual map that says Yeah, I mean, we think things are going great, but then we have in-laws and sibling issues or sibling rivalry. The landmine detection map is very good. There's also a family business scorecard that is free as well. And this is the other thing. You've got to keep measuring your performance. You've got to find ways to, to say... How are we doing? So those are a couple free tools. And, you know, I really want to acknowledge you. You and I are brothers from a different mother. You know, we got a similar history and similar passion. And that's the other thing I think about. How blessed are we to get to live in a world where we can do things like this and sprinkle it out there in the universe? And you and I probably have no idea the places where some of these ideas make an impact. And so you're doing fabulous work and, and it's just been a pleasure. And maybe we'll have round two someday. Thank you very much. You are welcome back on the show anytime. And we'll have to make sure we can break some bread together sometime when yeah. I get out to Arizona. 
Yeah, you know, when I get over to California, my son is over in the LA area. So yeah, thank you so much. Open invite. Okay, folks. Hope you got a lot of value from the show. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom that's available to you. You heard just some of the sources that Pete referenced, whether it was spiritual originations or or book or football coaches. All of these were some of his teachers. I mentioned you know, a few sources of my own. Um, keep learning, keep growing, because you're either growing or dying. And you know the drill from here, right? If you like this show, share it with others. Uh, give us a good rating on your podcast listening application of choice and stay tuned for future episodes of the Disruptive Successor Show. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.